Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with Marcus Kauke. Today, I'm delighted to have Case Quirines on as my guest. Case is a specialist in the channel, and I'd like him to give a very quick introduction. Who are you? What do you do? What problems do you solve? And who do you serve, Case? Marcus, thank you for having me. Uh, so yeah, my name is Kees Quirines. I'm uh, one of the uh, founders of uh, Portland uh, Europe. Portland Europe is a distributor of several software and cloud solutions in the Benelux uh, marketplace. So we typically serve resellers or IT service providers. Some even call them managed service providers these days. So typically IT parties, IT professionals that service SMEs. And we sell a whole lot of uh, products and services to those IT service providers, to the channels, let's say, on behalf of the number of vendors that we uh, represent. That's essentially what we do. What kind of problems do you help them to solve? Selection predominantly. Selection of the right tools in the marketplace to uh, actually bring to their SME uh, customers. As you must be aware, today's uh, marketplace is kind of a long-tail marketplace. There's a lot of solutions in each and every different uh, field. So there's just a lot of choice uh, out there. And what um, we do for our clients is help make that choice, basically, what to bet on and what not to uh, bet on. The choice is huge. I mean, uh, Jay McBain sent me a list of about 130 different vendors operating in the space. And it covers everything from channel incentives, channel enablement, uh, data and CDM, finance, channel marketing automation, and uh, PRM, so partner relationship management. It must be an absolute minefield trying to establish a channel and know which technologies to select. How do you help your clients address that? Because that, that must be such a tough choice. It is. It is a very tough choice. So. What we've done is we've uh, teamed up with uh, Gartner, who is obviously you know a very well-known research house in this uh, space. And our approach basically has been is to focus on technologies and emerging technologies, kind of make sense out of emerging technologies first, before diving into uh, the question, you know, then what vendors are actually, uh, what products or what services do we actually need to uh, incorporate within our portfolio? So most of the people are familiar with uh, what they call uh, the hype cycle, which is just, uh, you know, the hype cycle, right, uh, as Gartner has, has introduced. So what we're doing is we're saying, okay, Gartner, you guys have figured out 90 different, there's nine zero different hype cycles on all different emerging technologies. Those 90 hype cycles are even too much of a good thing, basically, for our clients. Yeah? So we condense those 90 hype cycles into one hype cycle, which we call the MSP, Portland MSP hype cycle, which entails the most relevant emerging technologies in specifically our customers' uh, spaces. That's a good uh, starting point. you know. So we essentially boil it down to roughly still 40 emerging technologies, which we think have a high impact on the business of an, I- an average IT service provider that services SMEs. Let me start with my first point of focus, which is scale-up businesses that are channel curious. They haven't taken the leap into the channel yet. What's the best advice that you can give them? And what are the initial technologies that they really need to be thinking about putting in place in order to be able to have a good, fast start with their scale-up through the channel? Well, there's a lot of questions, uh, Marcus, but <laughs> I'll try to uh, get into as many as possible. Yeah, I think the first thing what we see with a lot of vendors, you know, whether they're scale-ups or not, you know, but specifically for scale-ups, I think that the overall tendency in the marketplace is, is that they think, what the hell are, is this channel doing in the first place? Do we need a channel? That is kind of an important question to start with. We have this tendency all over the world, you know, which is called it a nice word, disintermediation, you know, yeah. where a lot of parties are thinking, let's scratch out the middleman, basically. Let's get rid of that and service clients uh, directly, which obviously channel isn't about. It all starts with a very simple question, and that is, do you actually believe in channel? And do you think that's actually added value for you as a vendor or as a company to uh, scale and grow your uh, product uh, sales? We obviously, and that is 
kind of preaching a bit for our own um, parakeet, if that's an English uh, expression. But... I, I get what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we obviously think that channel has a lot of uh, benefits, and the main benefits for channel for an average scale-up are, in my view, threefold. You know? So on the one hand side, two are rel- relatively obvious, you know. If you want to bring a product to market, you generally need to implement it and you need to support it. So if you, this is two out of three elements. So if you, as a business owner, as a scale-up, you essentially have two choices. You know, you either set up your own organization to do those two things, or you outsource it to channel partners who can do that uh, for you and have these individual relationships already in place with a lot of end customers. So implementation and support are two very important elements. And what we see happening in the entire world, even with uh, the parties that have tremendously deep pockets, you know, look at the Googles, you know, the Amazons, for example, of this world, even the Microsofts. These are parties who have huge budgets, you know, to go after markets directly, which they do. However, they still come to the conclusion that they can't simply serve everybody out there. So you see a lot of these parties actually embracing channel again or from the get-go simply because they realize that if you want to have a good penetration into any market, especially globally, it is going to be very difficult to do that without uh, any uh, partners and therefore channel uh, in place. Channel helps solve those two issues for uh, most vendors uh, in that respect. And the third element I'd like to mention, and that that is an element which a lot of vendors do not really like, you know, if they um, engage with the channel, but which I, which we think is very important nevertheless, and that is to give customers, so end users, the feeling that they've got some choice. Problem with direct approach to end users is that Obviously, you know, no vendor is going to say my product is crap or my service, you know, doesn't really tail up to uh, other uh, services out there. Sales pitch is always, look at my product. It's the most brilliant thing uh, since sliced uh, breath and you can do everything uh, with it uh, going forward. A buyer, on the other hand side, you know, then is always a bit reluctant and feels, you know, well, is this really the the best solution out there for my purposes, you know, because obviously these guys say it is, but is it really the case? So as to get an element of some objectivity in there, channel can play a very important role and it plays a very important role. Uh, what channel does is give the... Um, well, at least the impression to uh, end uh, customers that there's something to choice uh, to choose uh, from, and that's that's a good thing. So if you combine those three elements, so again, practical operational implementation and support services, you know, and the element of providing choice to end uh, customers in the marketplace, then you benefit from channel uh, tremendously in our view, and that is also the reason why a lot of parties are at least incorporating some sort of a channel strategy into their uh, go-to-markets worldwide. If someone is looking at the channel for the first time, they've always gone direct in the past, what are the key bits of advice you would give them in terms of selecting partners to begin with? The most important thing that I would say to them is say, okay, uh, make sure that you choose a channel that actually has a product market fit with uh, whatever it is you're offering. So what happens quite a lot, and we see that happening all the time, is that people think, okay, just give me any channel, you know, and let's um, have this channel work for me, so to say, to sell my product. That's a bit of a naive strategy in my view. The real strategy should be, you know, okay, what's my target audience? And that's, that's why, as a vendor, you also need to know your target audience. Another reason why... We are not against two-tier type of approaches that are uh, typically chosen by uh, these parties. If you don't know what your ideal end customer is, where you're building that product uh, for and from, then it becomes kind of difficult to choose a good channel that actually is able to leverage your product into uh, that marketplace. So product market fit is, in my view, the most important element uh, there. Choose a channel approach that actually fits nicely with whatever it is that you're offering and proposing into the marketplace and don't go for just any generic okay oh hell 
hell, this is an IT service provider, you know, so he should be able to sell my product. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. Okay. Well, on that note, one of the things that we always advise our clients to do is before you go to market, identify who is not your customer and who you do not want to sell to, because that will save you an inordinate amount of time in terms of pursuing the wrong kind of pursuits and finding yourself diluting your message. Once you've done that, then you can look at who is your customer and who buys, what the buying cycle looks like, their reasons for wanting to buy, and put the customer experience right at the heart of what you're offering. And again, this is something that I've seen for the last 30 years that seems to be sadly lacking, where certainly in technology, an awful lot of products have been engineered and over-engineered by people who like developing software rather than focusing on people with real-life problems. And so the end user gets drowned in this tyranny of choice with overspecced product that most of which they're paying for but never use. How do you advise vendors to make sure that they're focused, even if they have a very well-engineered or highly engineered product, how do you advise them to focus their message so that they're only talking about the stuff that matters to the end user? Well, I think that's, that's a very good and essential question, you know, especially in technology, you know, the attitude of a lot of uh, vendors is, okay, everybody knows what it is that we're doing, which in general is not the case. You know? So people use very technolo- of, uh, technical uh, terms you know, to describe their uh, product proposition to end users. People listen to it and they essentially think, you know, I don't know what it is that you're talking about, really. <laughs> yeah? We always say, you know, you need to be able to answer a number of very basic uh, questions if you move into any market. And the first, and that's a very basic question, is the the answer to the question, what is your product actually doing? You know, what are you actually selling? As if you explain it to your grandmother, for example, who has no understanding whatsoever of the technology, you know, can you explain what this is? And can you hook up to something that everybody knows, right? So a popular example is is you know for example we're the uber for uh, tools for example so you can order all kinds of tools online through an app everybody then immediately understands because everybody knows uber so in other words you know you need to make it very clear as to what it is that you're offering and that's where i see a lot of uh, people already fail that's the first uh, question because they become too technical and nobody understands them anymore even in the elevator pitch And the second step is, generally speaking, you know, end customers already have some sort of a solution in place for whatever it is that you are offering in the market uh, as a vendor. So take for argument's sake, you know, you're selling some sort of security solution and you've got all kinds of nice things that you've done with them, which are very relevant from your perspective as a vendor. That doesn't really mean that the end customer currently has no security in place whatsoever. So the first question that he's always going to ask is, okay, I already have something similar in place. You know, Why should I consider switching over to this offering? If you do not have a clear-cut answer on that question, you know, it's not going to be very successful. That's where product marketing teams or marketing teams of uh, vendors should spend a lot of time, you know, and that's explaining why you should switch from an existing uh, solution to whatever it is that you're uh, offering. And a problem that we see happening there quite a lot is that vendors say, yeah, but there's nothing else in the marketplace which does the exact same thing as we do. (laughs) And everyone believes the salesperson. Yeah, exactly. But it's obviously not the case. So, uh, you know, in the economy, we've got a word for that, which is called substitute goods. You know, I fully appreciate that nobody is offering the exact same thing as you're offering, but there are obviously always substitute goods or substitute services which do something rather similar. And that's what you're then competing against, so to say. So you need to have a very crystal clear story to help the end user understand as to why it is relevant and good for him to consider switching uh, over. So that's the second question I think every vendor should should spend a lot of uh, time on. And then the third one 
is once you get by that and you say, okay, okay, I understand what your product is, you know, I understand why it actually could make sense for me to to switch to this uh, solution from the substitute or competing uh, product that I'm currently uh, using. Then the third question is, you know, isn't that going to be a headache for me? Because that's the other thing. If it works, you know, don't touch it as long as it works. You know, that's also an, an attitude of a lot of people. I've got something, you know, why should I? How easy is it for me to then move from my current situation to that new situation that you're proposing? And those three elements, in my view, you know, get too little attention in specifically technical sales and marketing processes. I couldn't agree more. I I think there are a couple of other things that we would suggest, which is how are they going to derive the benefit from it and what pains is it going to fix? But the most important one, which I think is almost always missed, is how will the end customer measure its contribution? And if you can't clearly help them understand that, particularly in complex enterprise sales where you have long, costly sales cycles, very sophisticated competitors, and a high cost of pursuit with very complex decision structures, you absolutely need to focus on the business value. And a trap that I see so many technology companies falling into is they talk about technology. That, that's like showing photos of your ugly children. No one cares. They, they, you know, they'll politely listen. They're trying to read between the lines and think, you know, how is this going to affect me? And how is it going to affect my KPIs? How's it going to affect me hitting my goals? How's it going to affect us? hitting our strategic objectives. Yeah, what's in it for me? Eh? That's essentially the question you need to answer. You know, What's in it for the, uh, the guy who actually buys it or the company he represents? And that's very important. And I, I fully agree with you. You know, There is unfortunately too little effort in answering those questions. And it's, and it's just a diarrhea, I always say, of absolutely kind of features and benefits of uh, products and uh, services You know where... The story really is, you know, is uh, we from Selfridges advise you to buy something from Selfridges, which kind of, you know, everybody understands. As a business starts to move into the channel then, what would you you advise them to focus on in terms of the key technologies to help them enable their partners? So they've identified a handful of partners who make the grade in terms of target market fit, product portfolio fit, and they've recruited them. In order to ensure that they're successful and onboarded properly, what are the technologies that are available to them that you'd advise them to explore? I'm not quite sure if it's technologies, uh, honestly. You know, it's, um, the thing is, you know, if you look at it from a reseller's point of view or a channel partner's point of view, they obviously have a broader portfolio of things that they're bringing to their clients. Generically speaking, or generally speaking, their offering is way broader than whatever the, the specific solution of you as a vendor uh, essentially is. And you need to appreciate that. So one of the key things we always get back from vendors is that they say, okay, yeah, but I've got such a nice product, but it, it is not being brought to market by my partners. You know, They're not yeah. spending their entire day essentially selling my product you know I'm, I'm just there somewhere on the shelf and i'm just one of the so many solutions and that's i think a very important thing to realize that that is just part and parcel of the deal if you think that you can outsource your sales and marketing to a partner and that he's going to do nothing but run with your product or services mm-hmm. i think you're naive yeah? i agree that makes makes no sense so then to turn it around so how do you make that successful then it it is very important that you actually gain top-of-shelf attention from the reseller or from the channel partner to actually do something with your product. And if you can use technology you know, to facilitate that process, then that's where you should focus your technology uh, on, in my view. So essentially, we always like to call this uh, channel marketing, basically. Just as you market to your end users, you need to have a marketing story in place as well to your channel partners. And the clearer you are in explaining the benefits of actually running with your product in the marketplace, the more success you will have. So if you choose a channel strategy, either in combination with going direct or not, 
it is very important that you spend time and think about what the other side wants and needs and how your proposition fits in uh, with that. I would wish it was as simple as saying, okay, you know, just start a website with a channel program where people can log in and download all kinds of marketing materials and that's that's the way to go. Sure, that helps, you know, but it, it's not good enough anymore uh, today because there's just so many people already doing that. So I don't think technology by and of itself is going to make the big difference there. What I do think is that a good story for the channel to uh, incentivize them to actually run with your uh, product is going to make the biggest difference. I agree. I mean, when we wrote Making Channel Sales Work, the emphasis was very much on being partner-centric and understanding that there needs to be a win-win-win. There has to be a win for the partner, win for the end user, and a win for you. My question was really directed at um, if you're first starting out, are there any technologies that will help you to onboard your new partners better? Let's park that for a minute and focus on the onboarding process. One of the messages we focused on in the book is the first 120 days are critical. And if you're not putting coins in their back because they are coin-operated, if they're not making money in that first 90 to 120 days, odds are your partners will go dark on you. And all the effort and time and money and resource that's been sunk into recruiting them will be wasted. So if you could give two or three key tips during the onboarding process of a new partner, what would your top ones be? Yeah, to provide them with leads, yeah, <laughs> provide them with business. Essentially, you know, that's that is the, and that's also a bit counterintuitive, you know, because we run into that all the time. You know, a lot of uh, partners say, okay, I'm not going to sell my product uh, specifically in the in a uh, certain uh, marketplace. Yeah, I'll have a channel for that. You know, so they see it as some sort of an outsourced marketing and sales department of this uh, vendor product and. Their main responsibility is is to come up with uh, sales. Our approach is slightly different, you know. As I said in the beginning of the story, that's not really the added value of the channel. The added value of the channel is not to bring you sales, but is to make sure that products are implemented, supported, and the choice is given to uh, the end uh, customers, you know. And that is what will eventually help you sell uh, the product. The most successful channel approaches we've seen in the marketplace is where vendors actually take responsibility for finding end users and then pushing them back to be serviced by channel in those uh, circumstances. Instead of saying, okay, you go out it with our marketing materials and bring us sales, and if it doesn't fit uh, the three-month trajectory that we gave in our spreadsheets uh, determined somewhere in an uh, HQ uh, on the other side of the world, you know, you're a bad partner. Yeah, I think it's very important that you bring money in their bank accounts kind of immediately. And the only way to do that is to provide them with relevant uh, leads in a specific uh, space. So you do need to uh, take some responsibility there in order to make it uh, work. I agree and I disagree to some uh, point. Simply because Finally, we've um, got a disagreement <laughs> point. That's good. Um, <laughs> it, it depends on the, t- the nature of uh, the partners that you're bringing on. I fully accept that the majority of partners are very technical in their focus. And one of the key questions we always teach our clients to ask is, who's the top salesperson within your partner? If it's the owner or the CEO and they get hit by a bus, you don't really have a partner unless because they can't close. So one of the areas that I'd like to explore really is what involvement should the vendor have working with the sales team in the partner to train them as if they are their own. Yeah, to some extent they need to do that, you know, but in my humble opinion, you know, what's even more important is that they actually have an understanding of what the end customer does. And a lot of them simply don't. So they think that they can come into a partner's environment, train a sales force of uh, the partner basically with a generic marketing approach basically. And then think that because they've done that, that now this partner is able to sell into the marketplace, which does not guarantee a product market fit. Simple. I couldn't agree more. Though I'm completely averse to that. And the reason is that the majority of training vendors give to partners is really around product. It's not about the end user. It's not about getting into their skin, understanding what it's like to be in that job title, in that type of business, what pressures they're under, who's scrutinizing them, who's looking for them to fail. 
who benefits if they do a good or a bad job, who's looking at taking over their job, what competitive pressures are they under. And that's really what I mean by teaching the partner how to sell, because anyone can be a brochure in a suit and present the product and do the death by PowerPoint. What I'm suggesting here is that the channel manager needs to be a coach, a trainer. They need to midwife deals. They need to help the partner to see the bigger strategic opportunity rather than the tactical win. They need to look at the enterprises that they're selling into as marketplaces and help them develop strategic account plans, territory plans, pursuit plans, and really be in bed with the partner sales team and the management team to make sure that sales are happening, that the end user is getting deriving the benefit that they wanted to, and they're measuring the right things through the, the focusing on the business value and developing the business case. But I see that as sadly lacking in the channel. What do you suggest is the antidote to that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely uh, true. You know, so um, from a vendor perspective, I think um, people are too easy to assume that they can give generic sales and marketing advice to partners, uh, yeah. which will make them successful entering into a marketplace. So on the vendor side, it's essentially a lack of understanding of their own uh, end customers that they're targeting. So their approach kind of is, okay, let's give it to channel, you know, let them figure it out because they're the experts in the local market and we only have a good technical product uh, basically to sell. Let them figure it all out themselves. So that's something that vendors could really improve. If you do not talk to these end users, if you don't understand the end user uh, space and what they're uh, requiring, it becomes kind of a theoretical um, uh, exercise. Now on the channel side, that's also uh, very important. What is the approach of the channel partner uh, itself? Because a lot of them do the exact same thing as uh, vendors do, and that is bore their end customers to death with uh, <laughs> overviews of uh, features and benefits, you know, and not talking business outcomes or business value, basically. So that is kind of important, you know. Can you actually make that leap as a channel partner as well? Because otherwise, you're going to have a very difficult uh, time adding value into um, uh, this process, in my view. So it is about getting the correct partners in that understand that and as a vendor you know knowing and wanting to invest into knowing what your end customers uh, want to do and if you see those two things uh, tally up it's generally a very successful approach if they don't tally up it's a difficult struggle i see a lot of blind spots in the channel so very often the vendor doesn't implement good systems and methodologies around selling They don't plan effectively and they're not thinking ahead far enough because I think channel managers have a really tough job. When you think about it, they are much more like a general manager than a sales manager. They have to do strategy and design. They have to enable and develop their partners. They have to find and recruit them. They have to drive behavior and run incentive programs. They have to co-sell and co-market. They have to manage and report. So they need financial acumen, business acumen, management acumen, good EQ, good behaviors, planning, all that kind of stuff. And historically, it's, I think, a a real travesty that the channel has seen as the bastard ugly sister of direct sales. And as a result, they've ended up with Tim Nice But Dim, who failed in direct sales but we don't really want to fire him. He's fun to have around at the Christmas party. So let's put him into the channel. What harm can he do? And then the other extreme is they put all the green behind the gills, new salespeople into the channel where they're dealing with someone who's got a 60-foot yacht and they're driving around in a Maserati and this snot nose who's barely out of short trousers turns up at their office and says, right, what are you going to do to sell more of our stuff this year? And the bit in the middle is the really important piece, which is how does the channel manager really get to understand and develop a working partnership with their partners? How do they engage at the senior level instead of just engaging with the implementation team or with one point of sale, one salesperson, in order to ensure that they develop a really strong, genuine partnership? So what advice would you give people when they're trying to build their channel or revitalize their channel once it's gone flat? 
eventually it will boil down to the value you bring as a uh, vendor in this case to the uh, channel partner. If he thinks that by adding your specific product or service, that's actually going to make a big difference uh, for him, you know, so it's a need to to have for his business. Uh, You're in this uh, strategic relationship, uh, so to say. Whenever it's a nice to have, okay, I will add this one to our never-ending list of uh, solutions that we uh, can or uh, might offer to uh, clients, then you're not on the strategic uh, side and you'll end up uh, talking to the the junior staff, basically, who is uh, just uh, trying to continue a relationship. So it boils down to how good is the product and how strategic is it for the um, reseller or a channel partner, and can you convince that can you make that argument nicely or not? If you can't, it's almost a lost case in my in my strong opinion, you know, because yeah. you're just in one of the so many things and you're expecting things from channel that they will not be able to deliver simply because your specific product or service is not strategic to them. So you need to position it and be able to position it as a strategic add-on need to have in their portfolio. Again, I think this ties back to the point I was making about blind spots, that vendors don't tie the vendor's goals to the corporate and personal goals of the partner. I think they also fail to put in place a culture of mutual accountability. And as a result of that, there isn't that cadence of regular enablement and improvement that needs to be going on. If you want to run and grow a scale-up business, you need to have good strategy, an effective structure, which will flex according to where your business has progressed. You need to have outstanding systems, systems for attraction, qualification, selling, closing, onboarding, implementation, cross-sell, upsell. There needs to be regular accountability where both sides show vulnerability and tell the cold, hard, kind truth and don't take it personally. And I think one of the big blind spots that I see is that they create learned helplessness where the channel manager phones up and says, what have you got for me this month? And the uh, partner says nothing. And the channel manager says, oh, I'll call you next month. And nothing happens. They're not holding each other's feet to the fire. Equally, your point earlier about providing leads, I absolutely agree. It's an essential part. But I think if you're going to take on a partner, you want them to sell. You don't want them just to be an order taker. And they need to be proactive. So one of the key questions we always teach our clients is how do they get their business? If the only response is, oh, by referral, And those referrals tend to dry out relatively quickly. They end up building a business that hits the ceiling and then flatlines. And if you're trying to scale up, what you're going to have to do there is you're going to have to go out and keep recruiting hundreds and hundreds of partners. In my view, I think it's better if you're trying to scale up is to find organizations that have ambition, where the management will let you work with their sales team. And together, you develop appropriate sales methodologies depending on which part of the sales cycle and the nature of the sale you're involved in. And that may be two or three different approaches. There may be a customer service element. There may be a brand new business element. There may be an account development piece. And you as the vendor need to help your partners to achieve their personal goals because otherwise you'll find that their motivation will drop very quickly. And this comes back down to having a common organizational language and approach, making sure that you're capturing best practices, having a really good onboarding process to make that experience strong, and coaching on a regular basis, and training the management team, and not just focusing on lead generation, although that is a critical part, but making sure that you look at the entire life cycle of the customer and get involved in putting good methodologies and systems in place, having regular planning processes and not being stuck. I have a poster on my wall of the Pamplona bull run. And it says tradition, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. And too often, I think people are stuck because they do what was done to them or they are wedded to what made them successful in the past. 
And I think in this day and age, in this kind of economy, with the speed of change and the volume of choice, you have to be infinitely flexible and you have to have clear direction. And so being able to explain your vision and make sure that everyone who is tasked with implementing it understands it and buys into it is key. But all of those are blind spots that I see on a regular basis. Thoughts? I fully appreciate that, what you're uh, saying. Another way that we tend to look at it, you know, if you zoom in on the sales process, take a typical sales uh, funnel. Everybody knows that it needs to be filled on the um, top end side, top of funnel, you know, with um, a lot of people, the right people, you know, that learn about your product. And then eventually on the bottom of the funnel, you know, a sale will come out. What's interesting to talk about is what the intermediate uh, steps uh, are. If you look at the typical sales process, you know, where it goes from generic marketing to marketing qualified leads and then to sales qualified leads into a sale, if you use that model, for example, the real question becomes who takes care of what? And that's also how I mean leads, you know. What I see happening quite a lot is that vendors say, okay, this entire sales funnel is now your responsibility, dear partner. That's a problem. What I see as a good way of working together is that you say, okay, I'm going to deliver you as a vendor marketing qualified leads. You know, here's a couple of people who have raised their hands already showing interest into a product and then use the channel to convert them into sales qualified leads and sales, essentially. That's a good way to work together. And then the responsibility of the vendor goes to delivering marketing qualified leads, where the responsibility of the partner is you know, actually doing uh, the sale and qualifying uh, the sale side of things. That's a model that works. What doesn't work, in my view, and that's what I'm going against a bit, is uh, the idea of, you know, I've got a brilliant product, you know, you take care of the entire sales funnel, and uh, I'm just going to show up each and every uh, three uh, months asking uh, what the results uh, were. And if you didn't meet my spreadsheet targets, you're kind of a bad partner. That is gross misconduct on the part of the channel manager and the vendor. I think so, yeah. And that is one way of working together that is actually, you know, sensible and works. Well, this then brings me to the next critical question, which is what do vendors need to do in order to build trust with partners? Because one of the things I see happen an awful lot is the partners won't let the vendor anywhere near the end user. And for yeah, for pretty good reason, because they just don't trust them. How can partners, how can vendors develop trust with their partners? What's the best practices that you're seeing out in the real world? Focusing on uh, client needs instead of uh, selling uh, their own uh, product. That creates a lot of confidence. You know, if you as a vendor can say, listen, well, for this specific case, you know, my product actually isn't the best solution. I'd rather not sell it to him. That creates a lot of uh, trust in the channel. Because that's essentially what they are there for, you know. They are there for the end user, for the end customer. They want this end customer to be happy. They they don't want to shove a product or a service down uh, the end user's throat simply to reach a target or uh, whatever. Eventually, it's all about do customers, eventual end users, uh, so customers get what they really need and want. That's what it is. And if you can facilitate that, that immediately creates trust in the business. Um, and that has to do with positioning, that has to do with target audiences, etc. Being able to say no, say, okay, this is not a, a good customer for our product, you know, is actually a very important strategy to gain trust with uh, the channel instead of coming in and saying, okay, I've got something which is brilliant and works for everybody, you know, and the only thing you have to do is uh, sell it, uh, basically. How difficult can that be? So that's an important advice I always give and make sure that um, you're willing to say no uh, to clients uh, predominantly for the purpose of gaining trust uh, in the channel instead of uh, being seen as uh, just so many as the product uh, pusher who needs uh, to meet the target. I always teach people, always tell the truth. That way you never have to remember anything. From, you know, that's a quote that's from correct. Mark Twain. And I think you should always be disarmingly honest. When you're doing your plan, your territory plan, and working with your partner, one of the models that we teach is called CARE. It stands for Keep, Attain, Recapture, and Expand. And I also like to build in an S in there uh, for SAC, 
which are the ones that you need to get rid of because they're not really in your space. They're, they're not your ideal customer and it dilutes your effort. They eat up your resources. In terms of the ones that you're going to pursue, it makes a good deal of sense when you're segmenting your and working with your partners and segmenting their accounts and to look at those which need to be maintained. There's no growth potential, but they do need to be looked after and they'll be good bread and butter business. Attain is where all the glamour is. Those are the new logos, but it costs in an enterprise situation 10 to 20 times as much to win that business as it does if you're going to an expand account or a recapture account. So recaptures are ones that vendor or the partner may have lost, and there's an opportunity to go back and sell back in and then expand accounts. And we look at the top 20% of those accounts. I was with a client last week, and they were sweating blood to get 20% growth. And we segmented their accounts, and we identified somewhere between 150 and 200% growth potential just within their expand accounts. That would mean that they would smash their stretch target by tenfold if they got that business in. And it's all viable because they know, like, and trust them. They have good intimate relationships with those accounts. And it wasn't difficult to do. But the problem is that most people are so stuck with their nose to the grindstone that they never take the time to step back. So let's explore that. In terms of the kind of relationship that you help your clients to develop between vendor and partner, what's really important in terms of building trust within those organizations? I I get telling the truth to the end user, but how can they really bring value to the relationship between vendor and partner? We follow a model for that as well, you know, which is uh, originated by a Dutch guy. It's called the Bitser model. How do I spell that? B-I-T-S-E-R. And I'll, I'll just briefly walk you through it, you know, and that kind of is an interesting model to accomplish uh, this all. So B stands for brand awareness, I for image, T for traffic, S for sales, E for engagement, and R for repeat sales. That is a model that we typically like to uh, follow. What it boils down to is, is I'm now going to talk from the perspective of channel, looking yeah. at the so many vendors out there that have come up with interesting uh, products. The first step is is you need to make sure that people are simply aware that you exist, brand awareness uh, and what you stand for. So if people don't know you, don't expect anything. I mean, it's as simple as that. If you're unable to invest in brand awareness for your product or company and what you stand for, it's kind of a no-show, brand awareness. Most people get that, by the way. And the second step is you need to attach a positive image to that awareness. Everybody knows Lada, for example. Nobody wants to buy a Lada (laughs) because it has such a bad image. (laughs) So that's the second step. Can you attach a positive image to that uh, brand uh, awareness? Third step is, is once you sorted those two things out, you know, can you actually find traffic to your little shop? where people actually stop by the shop and actually explore what you have to offer in the first place. You need to have strategy surrounding uh, that area. Next step is is once once they're at your shop and looking at your products and services, etc., can you convert them into a sale? That is kind of important and an important step. And once they're existing clients, can you keep them engaged with uh, the product and can you repeat sell into uh, them? That's essentially all the steps that are uh, required. So to answer your question, so if you follow this uh, model, is that you need to have activities, you know, on these six key elements of uh, the process. And depending on where you are, you need to adjust your budgets accordingly. So in the beginning phase, we always say invest in brand awareness and positive image so before you can reap, essentially. Once you're more established, you know, you might say, okay, everybody now knows that we exist. You know, let's try and make sure that we can talk product uh, with them and explain to them the exact benefits of uh, using our products, etc. And then once you've got your existing clients in, don't make sure that you don't spend shitloads of money on customer acquisition costs going after these new uh, parties. Yeah. You know, well, you can more easily upsell 
with the existing uh, customers you already have in place or to keep them even more engaged so that they actually uh, do more with you. So that is kind of the strategy. And we look at it from a budgeting point of view because nobody has unlimited funds, so to say. So you need to choose carefully as to where you're spending your money on. And what we see happening quite a lot, especially for new entrants into a marketplace, uh, is that they spend essentially their dollars on the wrong uh, things. Absolutely. And that's what we try to do and say, okay, follow a strategy uh, there and make sure that you touch these uh, six critical uh, elements in this process. If you don't, you know, it's going to be a disappointment for everybody involved. Well, this is really interesting. I mean, we're training our channel clients. We look at six big buckets, the territory and account planning, opportunity identification, qualification, solution development, proposing and advancing, and service delivery. And it's in service delivery that the majority of the profit comes. And remember, everyone's in business to make a profit. I would rather be running a $5 million a year business making $4 million profit than a $100 million a year business losing a penny. And the problem is that I think in order to sustain the business, they focus on the wrong end of the problem. They keep going after the new logos. And I think the real selling begins in service delivery. And often it comes down to training your technical people on how to ask the right questions. It's critical that you have a cadence of regular contact to make sure that the client is satisfied and you know how they're measuring your contribution. And every quarter you're going back, identifying if there are any problems between times, making sure that you're fixing them, resetting the KPIs and working with them as a strategic partner. How can the technology that you're going to invest in support your business growth? If we're not the right people, do we need to bring other people in? And this then moves to a slightly different model rather than selling through the selling with kind of channel model. So Again, what advice would you give for a business that has managed to grow, but now they're finding themselves just one tiny piece of the stack that the end user is looking to invest in? How would you advise vendors to manage those relationships and ensure that they're bringing the most amount of value so they're not just one of many, they are the product of choice when it comes to their piece? I think that, again, goes back to strategic importance of uh, the solution you know and that's that's this entire tendency slight step back you know i think we've seen the marketplace involve of evolve on the sales side from what they call features and benefits selling into uh-huh. solutions uh, selling you know i think everybody has grasped that you know uh, everybody said okay yeah we need to sell solutions you know we don't need to sell features and benefits i wish that were the case but uh well, let's pretend it is. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's pretend it is. I agree. Yeah, I fully appreciate that. So that's already that's already a step in the right direction. But the real step in the um, right direction is is to go a step beyond that you know, and go not to consultative selling, but to a strategic selling. That is, in my view, uh, what's going to solve a lot of these uh, things. Because take your own personal life, for example. There's a lot of services you buy, but which aren't really essential for you right you don't have anything you know you might procure them from a different vendor you know if somebody else uh, comes by they're not essential to you they're not strategic to you so you don't build a relationship with that specific vendor because it's not really a strategic thing for you and unfortunately we're living in a world these days where a lot of things are becoming less and less strategic also on the technology side you know i mean Take again, for example, the example of security. It's not like that there isn't enough choice out there, right? If you want to do antivirus on a PC, that's not the strategic element anymore. You can kind of source that as a commodity from anywhere. So if you're then an antivirus vendor, for example, mm-hmm. you want to have a strategic position with your client, then you kind of have a challenge because no matter what your product does, in the viewpoint of channel partner is not really a strategic one. And that's that's a big question. How can you position it in such a manner that it becomes strategic to the partner and in turn strategic to the end uh, customer? That's when you've got that relationship going. And 
Unfortunately, although I would love to say, you know, I've got the answer to all the world's problems, that is really a problem that the vendor should solve and think, okay, how can I make my products and services to such an extent and communicate it in such a fashion that we actually hook into the strategic importance of my offering for the client instead of it being just yet another commodity product that so many others out there also offer. That's where they should spend their time on, in my view. And that's where you can really um, make a step forward. I agree. I mean, case one of the things that we always teach is you differentiate in how you sell, not what you sell. And CRM, security, it's all lumped into commodity. You can differentiate through the questions that you ask, understanding their business, making it personal. And the problem is that there is a, a dearth of good selling skill. And again, it's made more complicated where as a vendor, you're selling through a third party because very often what they want to show that they're really good at what they do and they want to talk about the product. And it seems to come back full circle. It's getting out of that feature and benefit product trap where they have to try and educate. I don't believe it's anybody's job to educate the end user. I think it's their job to sell to them. You sell today, you educate tomorrow. And the selling means that you have to get into their world Enter the conversations they're already having. Really understand the direction that they're trying to head towards and support them in that. And this comes back down to not being selfish in your selling. I think too often salespeople and channel managers are incredibly selfish. They focus on hitting my target. Your target gets hit if you help enough other people achieve their objectives. But the mistake that they make is they focus on, again, the wrong end of the problem, which is making the sale rather than helping solve the problem and be really valued at a strategic level because of the contribution that they're making to the business, but also to the individual careers of the people that they're selling to. I'm conscious that we've hit the top of the hour and I don't want to overstay my welcome. I'm really grateful for your contribution today. Let's part on a couple of things. The first thing is, if there was one thing that you could go back and tell your 20-year-old self about what not to do in your career in the channel, what would it have been? Neglect the end user, you know, and okay. make, make assumptions about the end user that don't tally up with reality. Absolutely. No mind reading. Got that one. Yeah. Guilty of it myself in the past. Yeah. And how can people get hold of you? You can visit our website, www.portland.eu. Use any contact uh, form, mention my name, Case, and anybody of the team should be able to get uh, you into contact with me. And that's Case, C-E-E-S, Quirines, Q-U-I-R-I-J-N-S, if you want to look him up on LinkedIn. Case, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, and Merry Christmas. Marcus, same to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.